before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 16. As always, joined by the three amigos. We've got Rich Diaz, the Tom Brady uh, RIP of Macro with Acorn Macro Consulting. And then we've got the grandfather in his Patagucci jacket, Keith Dicker with Icecap Asset Management. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Um, and as always, to all our uh, loyal audience, our, our faithful Looney Hour listeners, Again, all we ask, um, you know, in, in return for this, all we ask is that you share this episode with at least one friend, one person. Just share the uh, the link to the audio uh, podcast here. We are trying to continue to grow the community here, so we do appreciate your support. Uh, but without further ado, let's jump into this week's pod because we've got a very busy week. Um, I've never seen so many people upset and disgruntled uh, online over the Bank of Canada's commitment or decision to hold rates at 0.25%. So it was widely anticipated that the Bank of Canada, everybody was like, yeah, rates are going up, rates are going up. Um, and the Bank of Canada held rates. They certainly did a lot of forward guidance that basically March coming up here is going to be a shoe in for a 25 basis point rate hike. Uh, but just tons of people upset. I, I mean, I've got, ironically enough, we've we've kind of lambasted the, the Scotia Bank, uh, you know, forecast for eight rate hikes this year or whatever it was. Um, you know, I was reading his his note post rate hike. Uh, very very upset. So I've never seen like a big bank economist come out and write like a scathing piece. Um, so you know, kind of curious. Uh, first and foremost, Rich, uh, I know you talked about testicular fortitude in the last episode. So I'd love for you to elaborate on that uh, post-rate hike here, post-non-rate hike, I should say. Um, I'll just start out by saying I was quite disappointed. Um, I think it was a Pyrrhic victory. Um, you know, I think that everyone, you know, um, is, was expecting it. It was obviously priced into the market. And at the end of the day, I think uh, they were cowards, as I said, you know, on my tweet. Um, I explained my perspective on it. Um, the the way I describe it is, you know, we to me, it's clear that inflation has is, is absolutely out of control. It's clear that there is a housing bubble that needs to be at, definitely stopped, but at the minimum, how about this, slightly blunted. And I think it's really important that to remember that it, we're not talking about 5% rate hike here. We're talking about 25 measly basis points. And for people, some of us who don't know basis points, that's a quarter of 1%, uh, which would have raised it to 50 and, and really, I think, would have changed individuals' expectations. Now, we understand if you read from the statement and you, you heard the speech, obviously, now <laughs> the expectations for March, I think, if, if it wasn't a guarantee for you know, yesterday, a couple of days ago, then it's almost, then it's more than a guarantee for March or whatever the next meeting is. But yeah, I just say I'm disappointed. I mean, um, yeah, it's called a hollow victory, I think for me. Keith? Well, I think I need to start with, I don't have a Twinkie. I tried really hard <laughs> to find the Twinkie. So we're going with, with these guys instead. That was the bet, what wasn't is, it? Oh, a, was I think it so. to eat a Twinkie? I, sure. Or was there it was, a Donaire? I'm confused. No, no, you can, eat, you can eat a wagon wheel. It's probably worse for you. <laughs> Let's try Let's get this thing. Oh, no. There we go. Gonna... There's, the, there's the wagon wheel. Oh, man. Someone's just... Can't even open it. So for those listening on Spotify, Keith is unwrapping <laughs> this plastic. Here it comes. It's just all over the mic. Um, that this is a is, full. This is good stuff. <laughs> you just lost a couple of years out of your life, Keith. <laughs> okay. Um, I love it. 
No, look at this guy. He's sucking back this wagon wheel. This is a full grown I know. man. Anyways. But you know, one of those that the, uh, what the Lannisters say, you know, they always, always pay, pay your debt. Yeah, they're always pay the debt. Yeah, yeah. Right. I sure hope I don't have to eat another wagon wheel again. <laughs> That's, uh, I'll eat one cholesterol. We'll do it together. It's kind of interesting. Back in the fifties, when I was a kid, we used to eat eight or nine of those. You know, before we used to go to the sock hop. You know, on Saturday nights, smoke cigarettes Um, inside. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. But guys, um, I I don't think Rich did it justice just describing though, and and same with Steve as well. That non-policy move yesterday by the Bank of Canada. so it's two parts with it from a, a quantitative financial perspective. Markets were absolutely 1% expecting a rate hike yesterday. Um, all the smart money out in the world, they were positioned for a rate hike. And the moment it didn't happen, they all said, holy smokes. Everyone started scrambling, trying to cover it. So last week, I, I mentioned, you might remember, I mentioned the Canadian bankers acceptance contract. And uh, the, the way that works... Um, you know, that was priced, you know, for, for a rate hike. And the moment it didn't, that thing just moved dramatically. So, um, you know, one of the best trades I've ever been involved with was a couple of years ago when we anticipated that, you know, the bank, they would be taking action, nobody else did. And you, you make so much money on, on those things if you get it right. So yesterday, but nobody was trading that yesterday in anticipation of the bank not moving. So again, just to demonstrate how big it was. So most people are looking at currency markets or even, you know, what's happening with the yield curve and stuff like that. But the BACS contract, that was, that was the big one yesterday, everybody. And uh, Rich, when you come on this opportunity again, and you, you have better data as opposed to a hunch that they're not going to do it, go, go trade this thing and you'll, you'll make enough to, you know, stop doing the loony hour for a long time. I would never uh, stop doing loony hour. You'll never stop doing the loony hour. Uh, but then you have the qualitative part of it. And as Steve mentioned, um, every media outlet that's involved with Canadiana yesterday, they, they were in shock yesterday as well. Um, and even in the presser, I, I watched the pressers. I'm sure many, everybody else did as well. And, you know, you shouldn't feel good or bad for anybody. You know, we, we are, you know, humans and everything, but I just felt bad for, you know, for those guys yesterday. You can just tell that, boy, maybe if he can go back in time, they would have hiked rates, but it was not a very impressive day for the bank of Canada. And Steve, I think you, uh, might share with us one of the was it scotia bank that you you saw the comments from just to give uh, just to give everyone an idea now like it's one thing for us on the loony hour to say hey we think they should do this or that but when you know one of the big six banks when it was the uh the dairy cult comment that you that you have I think. uh yeah yeah so scotia banks uh chief economist uh basically wrote like a piece which was sent over to me um and keep in mind like scotia bank i, I think had the most aggressive forecast for calling for basically seven rate hikes this by the end of this year. Um, and so they're, they're basically their piece to let off like the title of the, the sort of email says the BOC pulls a chicken hawk move. Uh, and b- this guy basically just kind of went on and lambasted the, you know, Tiff Macklem and co um, basically saying, you know, what the hell are you doing? Uh, and, and I've read a lot of, you know, pieces put out by big bank economists and i haven't quite seen one that was worded with that kind of undertone like you could see like this guy was frustrated i mean i think it makes his call look pretty bad right if you're calling for seven rate hikes everybody's shooing in a january move and then you come out and you don't you don't pull through like i think what i mean for scotia bank now to be like right i mean they basically there has to be a 25 basis basis point move now at every single meeting for the rest of the year it's not quality. happening. That's not happening. Yeah, it's not happening. I mean, we've already we've already made joked about that on the show. Like, they're not getting seven hikes in this year to begin with. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like you know we talked about it on the show too, right? Like, yeah, we you know Rich and I and Keith here, you know, we kind of joked about hey, let's let's you know have a fun bet here and you know let's see when you know Rich and I were kind of like yeah, I know I don't think they're gonna move just for let's play devil's advocate here, but like realistically, like I've talked about it in the show as well, like. I sell real estate. Like I think 
these guys should have raised rates. Like I actually think it's better for the real estate market and the overall society and, and the economy that they should have raised rates. Um, because right now, again, we've talked about the housing market a few times, but like go talk to industry experts in that space. Well, I can tell you in Vancouver, like in the past four weeks, prices are up minimum 5%. Um, I mean, if you, continue on at that pace, you guys can run the math and figure out where house prices will be 12 months from now. Same thing we're hearing in the GTA, like it's going through like escape velocity right now over the past four or five weeks. And so in my opinion, it's like, yeah, why delay it another, like what, six weeks, like just get it over with it's 25 basis points. Um, so it's also was- priced in. I think that's the kind of the, the joke of it is that you would have surprised. There's, I don't really understand their mentality. Like this to me is the, the mystifying thing. Like, yeah, okay, I was right. Ha ha, great. But really what I spent the last like two days trying to think about is I'm trying to get, put my, like put, get, get in my, this guy's shoes and really try to understand what positive could have possibly have been gained from this. Like the market had priced it in. Everyone had, every bank in Canada, which they're, they're I mean, yes, they're regulators. Yes, it's, a, you know, he's a technocrat, but let's be honest, the banking sector, they're partners, right, in this, in this economy, you know, um, they had priced it in. No one would have said, oh, that's a bad move. It was the easiest like layup ever as far as a policy decision. And, you know, the other, I just, so I really, I cannot, I find it mystifying. I mean, there was some comments that I read, you know, oh, it was good that they didn't go early because we're still not sure about the Omicron fallout. And we'll, we'll touch on that later. I think that that's just absolute gobbledygook. But the other thing that I think is really interesting, you know, a couple of maybe a month ago, we talked about, you know, it's not just enough for the central bank to be independent. Um, it has to appear independent. Uh, that was my big beef with having the finance minister, you know, abreast to Tiff Mecklen um, when they did their, you know, when they rejigged the, the policy uh, mandate. But I think what's also, re- he's broken sort of another cardinal rule, I think, of being an unelected technocrat, um, is that he's now seeing, getting the ire of Joe Public, of, you know, Joe Everyman. Um, the fact that the Bank of Canada was trending on Twitter in Canada to me is, is I think a shocking indictment of his, like his job as the central banker. No one is really supposed to know this guy's name, you know, like, and and I don't, and you're supposed to basically just be this background figure. Um, And so it's just, it's all, all over the shop, whether it's, you know, whether it's just the fact that it was easy, whether it's the independence thing, whether it's a clear housing bubble. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's just cowardice all around. I've got a, I've got a quick comment. So, and I'm curious to hear your guys' opinions. Um, okay. So first and foremost, if I'm going to give any sort of um, credibility to the other side of this argument, they were very, they were very, very adamant in their last meeting and like reporters asked them several times, they were very adamant that they didn't see like a rate increase or like liftoff until they are their quote, not mine quote, the second quarters of 2022, which you guys can, again, figure that one out, what that means. So when I watched his speech there for 45 minutes, whatever it was, it was clear that he was trying to say, listen, I'm going to try to be as very straightforward. And this is exactly the path that we're going to go. And so I think he was just kind of following up to that. But again, again, they probably should have pivoted course and just got it over with. Um, Now, what I'm kind of curious to hear is, because I just think like, I think people are kind of figuring out like central banking, federal governments, like they're all political entities. I think this is all kabuki theater, uh, these central bankers. Do you not think though, when you look at Canada's horrendous debt picture, I mean, even the rest of the global economy is obviously super levered. You're kind of at this end of this Keynesian debt super cycle when you've got so much debt like isn't it good to have inflation like running hot isn't this isn't this really what they want like they come out and say like we're gonna fight inflation like we're gonna be really tough and and beat up inflation and don't worry we got this under control but like if you've got like debt to gdp in canada like 360 percent isn't it good to have you know 
inflation running higher than your your rate of interest to to slowly basically evaporate the the the, the net the worth of that debt. Like it's like a soft, like Rich, you've talked about like it's like a soft default. Like, yes, isn't this what they the answer want? Is yes, the answer is. I mean, you've been reading my notes that I've been sending to you. So I'm, thank you for that. I mean, yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna go on and on. Keith, let's say there's Keith's view. You guys think you guys know? I, I, you know, my view on this is quite clear. The answer, Steve, is yes. <laughs> uh, the answer is yes. However, for it to work, guys. The fiscal side of the equation has to run surpluses as well. So as long as they continue to run deficits, which means they continue to borrow increasingly amount of debt uh, year after year after year, like this holds, it's a fairy tale. You know, we're going to inflate our debt away. It, it doesn't work if you continue to issue more debt and more debt. So that I mean that that's the problem that we have here. Um, and you know me, uh, you know I'm skeptical about a lot of things, um, and I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. The world is not this nice, neat, shiny little box where everybody has the you know the best or the hard intentions to doing things. Uh, the Bank of Canada yesterday, they would have got the nod. So the Fed would have called them and said, "Hey, this is what you're doing today. Anything else, you're not. Don't even talk about it. You know, get at get the back of the line here, and you know." play ball. That's the way it's going to work. And people can agree or disagree with it. But remember that the Fed, they control what, what's happening here, the, the story. Gene um, so with the Fed yesterday, because we got to talk about the Fed, because the Fed, you know, we're Canadian, we're talking about the Bank of Canada. And, you know, the world is not, you know, revolve around Canada, everyone. Um, not even what? close. <laughs> I know it's not even close. But, um, but yesterday afternoon, it, you know, it, it just it's just a coincidence that the U.S. Federal Reserve, they came out with their central bank policy announcement as well. And, and theirs was right in line with what expectations were. That, that's what central banks do. Policymakers, you have an idea, you float it out there a few times it's in the U.S. and they float it out through, you know, through Wall Street, get the market reaction, it comes back in, then they'll soften it or harden it a little bit on the edges. And next thing you know, everyone is in line with what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened in the U.S. yesterday. And they are absolutely going to continue. They're going to become hawkish. They're going to cut, cut back on QE. They're going to try to you know, wind it down if they can. And they're going to start raising rates. Because also remember last week, uh, the Chinese came out and said, hey, don't raise rates. If you raise rates, it's going to screw us over. So now here we are now the day after. And the U.S. dollar, which is called King Dollar around the world, if you're aware of that or not, King Dollar is just whacking everyone here today, um, especially with the Russians as well. Uh, actually, ruble is up today, but that, that's for a different story. Um, but, you know, again, with, with the Americans raising rates and the Canadians will raise rates at the same pace as, as the Americans, that this is playing out exactly as the way that we're expecting it to. Which and then Steve, you mentioned that hey, you know, there's no way Canadians will get seven rate hikes in. Uh, we are clearly on the path towards some kind of a. Uh, I like to use the phrase we're going to see a, a re-escalation of stress in a financial market, which is another way of saying hey, like we'll get to some crisis of of some sort or another coming along here, and and that's exactly where we're headed. So you know, we can be excited about the non-announcement or excited about the upcoming announcement, what's happening. We're looking at the trees. That's it. And the branches, the bigger picture is the world's going to get tighter and, you know, we need to prepare for that, you know, accent that, that's coming out here, which will affect Canada. Maybe the, maybe the Canadian housing market is the accident. Again, I always think it's going to be coming from outside of Canada, but you know, the bank of Canada just gave everyone a green light for six weeks to pile on some more. <laughs> Now, Steve, I don't know if anyone is buying a house as, as a six-week investment. It's not something I would suggest, but I can tell you people are, you know, no one changed their mind this morning to uh, not buy a house. If I'm selling my house, I'm, yeah, I'm lining it up right away to get it out. I mean, yeah, I think we talked about this like on the last show, but like I said, it's basically, you have to understand like people that are watching the show, like, okay, the loony hour isn't quite mainstream. We're not there yet. Um, most Canadians have no idea what the hell we're talking about. Um, and when they, most Canadians, again, when they hear, oh, interest rates are going up, 
I mean, they probably, I would say 98% of Canadians don't know who Tiff Macklem is. Um, when they hear interest rates are going up, the initial thought process is, okay, my mortgage rate that I have, you know, on hold at the bank for the next 90 days, when that expires and I haven't bought a house, uh, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to get locked in at whatever the new going rate is. And if that's, you know, if that goes from, you know, 2.9 to 3.3%, that, that that's going to cost me $200 more per month or whatever. That's how they look at it. So they push their house purchase uh, forward. And so, yeah, I mean, my, my view still on the housing market is I think it's going to be a really strong, uh, crazy year up until these rate hikes really start to filter through, uh, which is probably more of a Q4 uh, story in my opinion. So uh, that's why I was saying, right? I mean, if if Macklem had moved 25 basis points in January, that starts to filter through into your variable rate mortgage a little bit sooner. So he kind of gave the market, gave the housing market an additional six weeks of life here. Um, yeah. So that's that's the other thing that we always forget. It's it's also signaling. Their job is not just to raise rates or lower rates. Their job is to signal stuff. Is to tell you, is like you know that kid that game as a kid, like green light, red light, yellow light, or whatever. And you're running across the gym. I mean, he just gave everybody <laughs> a green light. And there's one more thing I think we don't, you know, we don't talk enough about this in on this pod actually. Is we always talk about you know the policy about inflation. We talk about the lie that's been told. We talk about the reality that we all feel. We talk about whether or not the policy goal is sustained inflation. Um, we think that, I think they're going to get it. Um, and I actually believe um, that the economic risks to that policy uh, goal are probably moot, you know? But I think, um, but show me a society that survives the political risks of that inflation. I think it's something that we don't, really discuss here maybe we can going forward but i think that this idea that inflation is somehow benign from a political standpoint i think is a very very dangerous game to play um at the extreme uh you have something that we all are familiar with um you know it's holocaust remembrance day or if it's not today it was yesterday but you know the weimar republic um was the extreme um, of what happens when you let inflation go absolutely bananas and you make no attempt to rectify that through all kinds of silliness, um, whether it's your fault or not, it's irrelevant that, that the reality is they did not do anything to affect that. And I think that the political risks of inflation, I think you're going to start feeling them more and more. I think that that's, you know, people are going to start blaming other people and, and there's going to be winners and losers who owns houses and who doesn't own houses, who owns stocks and who doesn't own stocks. The exacerbation of the, in, the inequality wealth term is going to leak into our political discourse. And I think that that's a really dangerous game. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's something we should just sort of pin, maybe not for today, but we should definitely keep in the back of our minds as we go forward. Just to uh, like with, with the Weimar Republic. So everyone, you know, Rich is referring to really, um, not really, he's referring to the, the German government that was controlling Germany in the early 1900s, so pre-World War One. is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah, anyway. Post-World War One. Yeah, yeah, yeah around, around that time. And, and uh, so, but one thing that people, you know, they always think, oh, inflation went through the roof. And they see the photos of the of the older guy with a wooden wheelbarrow full of cash. Exactly. Or you go in, you go in for dinner and you, you know, you order your meal. And by the time you get your the check, you know, the, the price has gone up again. Um, people misinterpret the reason for for them having hyperinflation because they printed money. But that that's not what happened they had to print money because they were not able to borrow. So foreign investors said, for whatever reason, you know, it was a financial reason, of course, they said, we are not lending to you anymore. And then all of a sudden, the local economies, that they couldn't import stuff, they didn't have enough money for it, the government started printing money all the time. That's what you're hearing now, for example, in, in some of these other smaller countries. The, parallel, the parallels with that today is that everybody is in this situation that's just before that moment in time. So we Canadians, you have way too much debt. So where's at the government level, corporate level, household level, there, there's too much debt there. And, and this is something that we talk about quite a bit. And I think everyone else as well, but they don't quite 
appreciate what the next step is. Now, I alluded to this somewhat yesterday on Twitter. I said, hey, this now sets everyone up for like another event here. And, and what the event is, is that at, at the moment you walk into a, a debt crisis, first of all, interest rates spike higher everywhere because people want to get compensated for taking on more for lending to you. But you also run in this awkward moment when all of a sudden nobody will lend to you. And that's then when you have to start, you know, printing money to try to keep things going in the local economy. And people get quite upset about it, like you just mentioned, Rich, and, you know, it's, you know, the government will turn over and all that stuff. But it, but this is a situation today where everybody has that exact same uh, exposure and, and liabilities. And so who's the first one? You know, we talk about the, the gym games. What is it? Duck, duck, goose. Is that another game? You go around and I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible with these things. You know? Red light, green light. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know, but my point is yeah, that okay. somebody out there is going to be that country or economy that's just simply going to be shut off from borrowing from foreign investors and it just, you know, kapoof, it, it goes in the middle of the night. And then there's another one, you know, not far behind it. And, and that's how contagion starts. Contagion is not linking up a country's economy with, you know, who they're doing trade with and, and stuff like that. You know, contagion begins when foreign investors say, I'm getting the heck out of there. And it ends when foreign investors say, okay, I now feel comfortable enough to go back in there. And so with this delay by the Bank of Canada yesterday, it, again, it just, you know, it's a stupid analogy, but everyone's, you know, blowing air into this balloon and it's getting bigger and bigger. And he just took one more puff into the balloon and we'll let it go for another little bit. But again, it's not a linear, you know, expansion of the balloon and everything gets stretched, you know, to the nth degree. How is that for a, a well, story? I think it's important though to, to put that... I mean, every isn't basically every, you know, country essentially is in the same boat that you've got these sovereign debt bubbles all across the world. And I think Canada, as, as we know, was, as we are well aware, is, is probably one of the worst offenders. I mean, isn't our, isn't our debt to GDP like akin to like where Greece was pre-crisis? Like we're, we're no, it's, it's not, it's not at that level, but it's again, it's pretty it could be so. very high relative to the rest of the large economies in the world. It's one of the highest. We'll share the chart, of course. Yeah, it's uh, like, as an ex again, it, it could be Canada. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the Italians have had three attempts now to elect a president of their country. Yeah, <laughs> they still can't agree on, you know, who, who's going to do it. Uh, you know, of course, we're just ticking, you know, the, the EU uh, technocrats off royally. But, you know, there's there's stress out there everywhere in the world right now. Uh, you know, we're following the whole Russia, Ukraine, American, you know, we're triangle. And, you know, the Europeans are completely upset because they're not included. It's, you know, they're not a, a world power at all. So they well, Germ, it's, I mean, we're, we're digressing a little bit, but this is why you don't lock down all your nuclear power plants and import all of your fuel and fossil fuels from Russia. We talked about this several pods ago, but anyways. But going yeah, back to I mean, how people think the world is clean. I mean, the Canadian response to the Ukraine situation was to have people stand up with signs and take a picture embarrassing. of themselves. The Russians don't care about that. Can I just make a tiny digression? I think we talked about, you know, the, there's going to be dislocations because as interest rates go and people sort of pull back on that liquidity and pull back on that debt. I think it really it's really been exemplified sort of in the equity market performance of the last of the big since the beginning of the year. It's actually started before that. One of the things that we look at is something called, you know, a styles. Some people call them factors. I'm not actually sure what the actual real name is, but between something we call growth style or, or value. And you can see that um, a lot of the stocks that have been absolutely hammered are these stocks that are basically are a direct result of this balloon being blown up um, and all this cheap, free, easy, <laughs> speculative money um, basically blew up. Which like the, uh, the ARC funds that, that we've talked yeah. about a few yeah, times. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I would also throw in alternative energy stocks into that. But anyway, so what you've seen over the last like little while is that the rotation out of these sort of, you know, speculative kind of growthy, you know, not quite sure if these companies actually do anything names 
and value is really, really come into fashion. You know, we talked about this um, in our end of year podcast last year about one of the things that might just happen. And you've really, it's really come hard. Basically, if you're a company with a strong balance sheet, strong margins, um, and the ability to protect those balance sheets and margins, I think you've done really well. Um, and it, I think it speaks to basically what Keith's been talking about a lot, which is that liquidity is going away and interest rates are going up. And there's going to be some fallout there. So, I mean, so market Plus, events this the last couple of weeks, um, I think we've talked before, like with us, you know, we're, you know, we're pretty well diversified across, when I say different markets, I don't mean Canadian equities and American equities. I'm talking about, you know, different asset classes altogether. And, and that, it holds you back when markets are taking off, but boy, it provides really good protection. So we, we've done really well over the last couple of weeks with markets coming back. However, one trade that we're doing now, I'm not going to talk about it because we're still involved with it. When we're finished, we'll, we'll share it. But whenever we get markets moving like this, uh, it, again, you, you don't need to be frightened by it. Just embrace it. And you know, every good manager, you have your notepad of trades that you want to do. Because with your portfolio, there's always things that you love in it and things that you hate. You, if you love everything at the same time in it, you're, you're missing something. You're like, you're the, uh, what are they say? If, you're at, if you don't know who the patsy is at, at the table, it's you. If you don't know the sucker, you're, you're the, if you don't know who the sucker is at the poker table, you're the sucker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, with your portfolio, there's always something you don't like in it, but it's, it's there for a reason and everything. Uh, and then you have on your list, things that you want to do, you want to buy or add to your portfolio strategy, but you got to wait for them to occur, wait for the opportunity to take place. And, and that's what's happening right now. So I, I think it's, you know, the market reaction, it, it's been pretty good. And, uh, you know, that's where we're moving now over the next few days. What are you, what are we going to talk about next guys? You know, the Americans had a GDP number this morning. I mean, yeah, Rich, I don't know if you have any comments on that. I mean, I, I haven't looked too much into the numbers, but yeah, I mean, I just GDPs are always like really far looking, uh, far backwards looking. Um, sorry, backward looking. All the data, sorry, let me start over. All the data we look at is backward looking, most of it. There's some models that do a good job predicting, but I, I don't know. I'm not too, I'm not too, I don't put too much stock in that. The GDP right. is particularly bad because it's obviously what happened in Q4. So that was the latest um, number that came out. And it was, you know, 6.9% real GDP growth. Um, you know, it's a Q on Q annualized number um, and versus, I think that that's right. Anyway, so it's versus 5.5, which was expected. So GDP growth was big, better than expected. Okay, sure. I mean, we just came out of recession, so you can't really take these numbers really. You have to take these numbers with a grain of salt. They're, the, the fluctuations are significant at this stage of recovery. The thing that I think was the really big takeaway was the something called an IPD, and that's a bit technical, but the implicit price, pli the implicit, price deflator, which is basically an alternative measure of inflation. Um, and it basically encapsulate all the different um, parts of the economy. So the service sector, exports, imports, government spending, um, gross fixed capital formation. Um, and it basically aggregates the quote unquote inflation from all different parts of the, of the economy. Um, unlike a CPI basket, which is a consumer price index or the PPI, which is the producer price index, this IPD, um, yeah, aggregates basically everything that's going on in the economy and tells you what the overall sort of inflation rate and that hit 7%. That's a 40 year high in America. Um, yeah. And, and that's a, that's an incredible number. Um, and if you think that that's going down to 2% anytime soon, I, you know, you're in for some trouble. Uh, yeah, this, uh, I think it's important to also touch on this because there's been some ongoing discussions online with, okay, like US CPI is at seven, how come Canada is only at like 4.8? What's going on? Do we actually have less inflation? Rich, I mean, you're the data guy, but like I always say, like, I mean, a lot of that's probably coming back down to like our data analysis or the quality of the data in here in Canada. Like, I think our CPI is certainly much higher than 4.8. Um, I don't know if you have any comments on that. I know there was that stats can for for it was like former stats can analyst goes rogue and says like inflation is actually higher. It's, it's not at properly measuring the rate of inflation. I don't know if you have any comments because uh, you know, I think it's important to, to touch on. Yeah. I just think it's, I mean, first of all, it's very hard to calculate the, the 
CPI for an economy with 40 million people, 300 million people, a billion people, right? Uh, what is a consumer basket? How does it change? Uh, which consumer are you trying to identify? Um, how, do you, uh, how do you account for changes in quality, tastes, substitutes? Okay, so, you know, I am very critical of the inflation numbers, but I'm also extremely aware, as I think listeners should be, that it's very difficult to calculate those numbers. However, well, 5% is not the number. It's way higher. <laughs> well, it's, it's always funny because you think about it, you got like a national basket of like, Again, they're doing their best job. Like you just talked about, it's not really easy to measure that, but it's like the rate of inflation for like, you know, a millennial in, you know, downtown Toronto is going to be much different than some old guy living in rural Saskatchewan. Like, yeah, for you know, sure. it, it's just different. Baskets, Listen, it's a so tough yeah. job. I think the real, the real thing is, you know, it, it's the, the big lie is that it's 5%. I mean, no one can, no one who, I mean, I know, I know you, we shouldn't really rely on anecdotal evidence and, and we can just, you know, nip this in the bud after and change subject if we have to, but just like, you know, you shouldn't just ignore what you see with your eyes either. Right. I mean, we understand that meat prices are, and food is not 5%, right. I mean, I go to next door, I go to get my chicken shawarma like once a week, probably more than I should, you know, 15 months ago, it was 9.89, and just a couple of days ago, it was 11.34. Uh, it's like a more than a 15% increase. And, and I can tell you for a fact that I spoke to the manager of the place and I was like, you know, you've raised it by 15, 20%. And the guy's like, yeah, I know. And we're taking a hit on that. You know, he's not passing through all of the inflation they're getting. I've, I've got rich. Wait, I think that was my that first is, story. <laughs> that is an unacceptable view. Oh, somebody, somebody check the don't air prices here. I think it's um, unacceptable to have a view that's not been approved by the official policymakers. So that's, uh, of course, that's a, we'll go into that as well. I, I do, though, I need that. that Rich, that was not a bad story. That was pretty good. You're getting, you're, you're starting from the bottom. So you are getting better. And uh, remember, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's what makes them really good and sharp. Uh, I do want to comment on, on the, uh, <laughs> I want to comment on the American GDP number. Um, so it was 6.9 of that 6.9, 4.9 came from inventories. And so, so this catches our eye. So this is what's important. What people don't realize the GDP is the growth of the economy, of course, but it's a very complicated calculation. There's lots of things moving on and stuff like that. When companies build up their inventories, it means they're buying stuff, right? Whatever they're selling they're they're buying stuff and that causes GDP to rise. Inventory contribution to GDP, it's nearly that. It's, it's never that high. It's, this worked out to what, 70%, 75% of, of the GDP. So this is not a bullish, roaring economy when you get inventory built. If inventories are being built up by companies because it, it's being driven by final demand, because every you know Rich is going to buy his, his, his chicken dinner three days a week now, uh, instead of once a week, uh, and that, that's good, that's healthy. When companies are building their inventories up because they just weren't able to get stuff because of the global shutdown, then you know that means, hey, this, this is going to run out of steam somewhat soon. I suspect the inventory uh, bill, like I think this will go on for maybe another two quarters probably. Like Again, it takes a while to get this thing really running. But the idea of thinking that the American economy is going to be running at like 7%, annual growth, um, you know, for here on out, that that ain't going to happen. I, I remember back in the O's, uh, probably the middle of the O's, like 05 or 06, something like that, like GDP in the US was around 5%, 5.2. And everyone's like, oh, man, this is awesome. This is going to continue forever. And it, it didn't, like, it, it does eventually roll over. But that that's something that when you're reading any GDP reports about the economy in the US is growing really strong. Remember, like, look, look under the hood a little bit. And this, this one was driven by inventories. So if you understand that, then you'll say, okay, wow, like it's, it is going to come off there. Uh, Steve, what, what do you have there? I know well, you're itching no, to I say mean, something. It, yeah, it kind of brings me full circle because um, I was going to ask you guys, like, <clears throat> just listen to this uh, Bank of Canada speech, kind of, again, coming full circle. But um, they had 
The Bank of Canada says they, or they, this is Tiff's words, not mine. The Bank of Canada expects inflation to hover around 5% for the first half of the year before ultimately subsiding and getting down to 3%. Um, the funny thing is, it's like, so he says inflation is going to run at 5% for the first half of this year. And as Keith's saying, it's probably not going to continue and be sustained per se, but then inflation is going to go down to 3% by the end of the year. But then like, well, their inflation target is still 2%. So you're still like, you're still north of your, your inflation target. So it's like the, the guy, they're basically still contradicting themselves. That's an unacceptable um, view. Yeah. Please retract your statement. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, speaking of which, thank you. Brings me to my next point. We were joking about this off air. Um, did anyone notice that Keith is watching the thing with me? That it took them, it was like up until the last question, not one reporter asked any hard questions. Not one reporter asked anything about housing. It was very, it was mentioned very towards the very end. Tiff Macklin basically dodged the question and he passed the housing question on to Deputy Governor Rogers there. Uh, and she basically said, quote, uh, you know, they asked her about the housing market and, and the strength and some of the vulnerabilities, whatnot. And she says, overall, the bank's view is that the most important thing that will restore balance to the housing market in Canada is an increase in supply. Supply has not kept pace with demand, which I look at and say, you're basically trying to pass the buck. You're taking no responsibility for stoking that demand because right now you have demand running at these artificial levels because you've goosed interest rates down to zero. I mean, you know, in 2021 national home sales were at all time record highs off the charts, like beating any, I think it beat the next highest year by close to 20% in terms of annual home sales. So it's like you goose the demand. Like we've talked about this before, but like if you had mortgage rates, not at let's say 2% today, but at 4%, I think that you would solve the supply situation very quickly. That's an yeah. unacceptable view. <laughs> it's it not just bad, it's immigration too. I mean, come on now. Anyways, go ahead, Keith, sorry. Like you say, guy, like it goes back to low rates have enabled everyone to borrow, borrow more money. And the low rates have been completely created by the central bank on the short end of the curve. And a lot of things, you know, push the long end down as well. However, to not even accept any kind of responsibility of it or to wash their hands. And, and I asked this hard question before in a, you know, a, a closed room meeting with them and um, you know, they, they weren't too pleased with it. So they completely absolved themselves from that question. And like you say, like they were softball questions, guys, like they were, beach balls down the middle. Go yeah, ahead, Rich. Joe, I was going to say, show me a negative, show me a sustained negative real interest rate. I'll show you a real estate bubble. It happened in Ireland, Spain. It's happening in Germany in 2014, 15. German houses have doubled. German house prices have doubled over, I don't know, whatever, how many years it took, but not long. Uh, Canada, it's the same thing. It happened in the US as well. Um, the other thing that low rates do, and I know we're jumping around all over the place, but one of the, and I have to share this because it's one of the saddest charts that I've ever seen, is that it siphons money away from what should be money, the money should be, in inverted commas, should be used for productive assets to things like real estate. I guess that's sort of a, not, not as productive, but like, you know, one of the things is um, like real estate and development spending in Canada is basically at a 20 year, at a 20 year low. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's just, you know, these guys, these central banks ha have blood on their hands, I would say, you know, not, that was, to, be, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. I think you, you mentioned there, I think it was residential or it was a uh, business investment, right? Oh yeah. Sorry. B uh, public and private gross fixed capital formation. So, um, in, in the form of research and development, um, hasn't increased in 20 years in Canada. And you, and you say, so why? And it's like, okay, partly it's because of shift away from oil and gas. I mean, there's been a desperate move away from that. I get that's part of it maybe, but it's also partly because if you've got an extra buck to invest, why not just, you know, plow it into this housing, you know, housing bubble. And, and it's just, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, it, good. if prices are going up annually, 10, 15, 20%, I mean, it's kind of like it, it is 
ultimately the best use of your capital. Yeah, of course. Right? No, like, I, like why, you know, I mean, why start a business? So, so the other side of this, so. yeah. So the other side of this, uh, this is what I see on our desk all the time with, with lower and lower rates in the marketplace. It, it's, you know, the, the Bank of Canada and policymakers they say, well, this is great. It encourages investment, whether they carry through with it or not. That's, that's the private investor's choice or decision. But, but by doing that, it robs that very low risk passive income for the other side, for the investor. So, you know, the, 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 the person who was living off a of four or five, six percent GIC in the past that could live their lifestyle with whatever they want to do. They're quite able to do that. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. And they're not even able to buy, you know, sovereign debt at say, you know, four or 5%. I mean, it, it's forcing the most conservative investors in the world, not just Canada, but in the world to bear all the risk that the policymakers are using to try to stimulate the economy to keep this debt machine, this debt bubble going. And uh, you know, it, we call that we re, we refer to that as you're socializing the bad debt problem. So everyone who's borrowed excessively, way beyond their means, that includes the governments, includes households and, and companies. The, the ultimate segment that that's sacrificing this are, are the savers, the most conservative investors in the world. So what they have to do. So people might say, well, they're not doing the borrowing. So whoever's borrowed, they can't pay you back. That's a loss for someone out there. But with these low rates, it's enforcing the most conservative investors to invest in preferred shares. They're investing in, in junk bonds, or as your bank or an advisor will tell you, it's a high yield bond. You know, it's, it's, that sounds better than junk bonds, but it's still junk. Um, they're buying emerging market debt. Now they're buying equities that just focus on paying dividends. They, again, it, it's really distorted the, the entire playing field out there. And this is something the Bank of Canada, they will not talk about. I asked him the question before about social. I asked Carney about socializing the bad debt problem. This was back in, I think it was 2011. I think, like, I think that's when uh, I had an opportunity to meet him in a group down here. And he said, oh yeah, we're absolutely socializing the bad debt problem around the world, but that's the solution we have. And then I asked uh, one of the Bank of Canada members there, probably 2018, the same question. And um, he, he really didn't appreciate the question. He, he wasn't like, Kearney was actually quite nice to me. This other fellow wasn't. But that's what's happening, guys. This, they're, they're making everyone pay for this low interest rate world. And most people are not aware of it. I think that's uh, Russell Napier. I don't know if, if anyone follows him, but I, I really appreciate his work. He's, he's, he's awesome. Uh, he, he calls it, he calls it um, basically... The, the way the system to kind of put it in simpler terms, he calls them levered geniuses. So he goes, anyone that has gone and taken on all this leverage, you know, bought you know three condos, whatever he goes, they've looked like geniuses, right? They've taken on massive leverage and asset prices have ripped. And he goes, you know, now what's going to happen is like, you just no choice, whether you're a saver or you're one of the levered geniuses there that you're going to have to bail out the levered geniuses. Because he says the lever geniuses are going to take everybody else down with them. So he's like, when this thing eventually blows and whatever, something happens, it's the lever geniuses that will bring everybody down. And so, yeah, it's to Keith's point, right? It's like you've, you've forced these sort of more prudent savers, these retirees, these pensioners to push out on the risk curve. Um, if you go on the Bank of England's website, um, it says right there, it says one of the quote intended consequences, not the unintended, one of the intended consequences of QE is to push people out on the risk curve um, to, you know, instead of investing in a GIC, they want you to buy, you know, a pre-sale condo. Um, so take, take that, what, what that, what it is, it, it is what it is. It, it probably should piss off a lot of people, but uh, you know, these are the current rules of the game and uh it's been the lever geniuses, the unprudent ones, so to speak, uh, that have been ultimately rewarded. That's an unacceptable view, Stephen. <laughs> I think we should. Uh, I think we, that's a good way uh, to end it there. Uh, wait, wait, this is this the end of the show? <laughs> yeah, I, we're well, about an hour in. 
Okay, well, great. Then it's my turn to take to uh, then I want to then I given my, that I was right about the rate call. My reward is my free plug. Correct. Well, this was and, agreed uh, to prior to, by the way, everybody. <laughs> so bear with us here. Bear with us. So I just want to. Um, so Acorn Macro Consulting has a brand new website. So I encourage everyone to go and check it out. Um, there's loads of free content that's updated regularly on Canada, the US. There's some sector stuff that you can check out, I've written some blogs. If you want to catch up on the Looney Hour, you can find that too. Um, but most of all, um, more than the, just the website, I just want to thank um, the guys at Antimatter Labs, which are like a local company here in Halifax. Just two young guys who are just uh, grinding away instead of uh, investing in real estate. Um, they're trying to build a useful and productive company. Um, and uh, I was really proud to work for the, uh, work with them. And they're Nick and Brandon. So there's your shout out, Nick and Brandon. If you guys need a website done or some marketing work, I encourage you to go talk to Antimatter Labs. Um, they, they were wonderful to me, and I'm sure they'll treat you really well too. So there you go. That's my plug. Oh, and this guy didn't even plug his own work. Uh, Acorn Macro Consulting. They do have a retail uh, version. I, anyways, I get the pieces. Uh, I am a loyal subscriber, so I highly encourage you have my endorsement to go check that out. Sign up uh, on Rich's website. Uh, if you want to give back in any sort of way. Uh, and again, as we always say, if you want to give back in any other way, we certainly appreciate at least one share. Um, and just to continue to grow and build the Looney Hour community, because, uh, you know, the larger this community gets, we hope that our unapproved thoughts uh, and comments continue to grow. And and hopefully we can have a, you know, a healthy dialogue across this great nation, because uh, I think we're all, you know, good, good Canadian people. And we're, we're really hoping for the best for this country. And uh, like I said, if, if this dialogue can help spark some of that conversation, uh, that's the, the ultimate end goal here. So uh, as always, we appreciate your support. We'll see you next week.